Thank you. Thank you, uh, Pastor Miller. You probably ought to give him a round of applause and show him how much you love him. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I look around and see some of my favorite students of all time. You know, and uh, we are, you're so fortunate to have some of them working with you. And um, I find it, I, I count it a blessing to be here with you uh, this morning. Um, Today I uh, want to take just a few minutes um, to talk to you on a subject that I'm calling um, maximizing ministry. Okay, maximizing ministry. Um, I don't know your church, okay, and other than a little bit that I've heard and it's all good and all positive, but I felt like God uh, uh, instructed me to uh, share this message today. Uh, with you, and, and I hope that you find, uh, you find it meaningful in, in some fashion. Okay, so uh, let's, let's pray together. Father, we uh, ask you today, Lord, to uh, be with me as, uh, as I try to uh, communicate what you have uh, put before me to share with this congregation. But Father, I pray that you not only... Uh, use my words. I pray your Holy Spirit will individualize this message to each individual in this room, that, that there will be some, some nugget of truth that hits them from you uh, in, in just a special way. And, and Father, when that happens, I pray that you, their hearts will be, will be soft and, and will find a place for it to grow and to mature and to be fertilized. And, but Father, I, I not only... I pray for their ears to hear and their hearts to receive, but I also pray, Lord, for their, their feet as they uh, walk out of here. Father, I pray that they will put into practice that which you have placed into their heart. Father, we thank you for this group of individuals, and we thank you for your uh, love for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, the cool part um, that I found out from Keith the reason I'm week four the last week, he said that if I were week one, you never would have come back to hear the good people. So, uh, here, so take, take what you get from me and, and, and find out what the Holy Spirit has to say as a result of it. You know, how effective do you think the church is in the United States, the evangelical church overall? When when. When people think about the church, when they think about you and I, uh, how, do, how do they view us, and um, what would they say about us? What do you, you know, statistics are things that sometimes I wish weren't around, surveys, but statistics show that there's very little difference in the divorce rate between Christians and non-Christians. As a matter of fact, statistics say that Christians have a little higher divorce rate than non-Christians. Obviously, that's because a lot of the non-Christians don't get married, so they don't need divorce when they break up. But still, the, the stats are not that much different. The stats tell us that 25% of 
girls are abused before the age of 18 by a family member or friend. And that stat's not any different in the church as it is from outside of the church. It's pretty much the same. And pornography use, unfortunately, is all around us. And the truth is that it's in the church as well as outside of the church, if we're honest with ourselves. A few years ago, Jeannie Mayo, you may have heard the name, she was doing a, a uh, retreat for youth pastors, and she had 2,000 youth pastors and support staff and that kind of thing at a church in the Dallas area. She gave them little clickers to, to click uh, answers to different questions that she would ask throughout the, uh, uh, the seminar, but she stopped at one point and she said, I just want the youth pastors to answer this. Just, you don't have to be a youth, uh, paid youth pastor, but if you are responsible, primarily responsible for the youth in your church, how many of you have used pornography in the last 12 months? She said, it's totally anonymous. Just click the button and tell us yes or no. Have you or have you not? Sadly, 73% of them clicked yes. Now, they were being honest because nobody was going to know who they were. But the truth of the matter is, if, if that high percentage, and we don't know how many times they used it in the last year, but they did at least once. If that's happening in our clergy, what's happening in the pews? What's happening in the bedrooms of young people? I don't say that to criticize. I don't say that to criticize. But I do ask the question, how much difference does the church really make when it comes to our behavior? How much difference does it make when it comes to what we choose? Today, I want to point to three directives from Scripture that I think that if we put them into place, if we obey them, if we move in that direction, then we have a better chance of transforming who we are inside the church. And when that occurs, the people outside of the church will see something different that will draw them to us and draw them to Christ. So the first directive is found in Romans chapter 16, verse 16. And it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I know some of you are getting nervous already because if you were at the 930 setting and we talked about, you know, what we talked about there. But that's not what, I, that's, that's not what I'm going to talk about here. As a matter of fact, the term kiss is used in Scripture around 40 times. And depending on your translation, but about 40 times. And out of that 40 times, only three times is it used in the context of a sexual relationship, okay? Once in Proverbs and a couple times in Song of Solomon. Every other time, the term kiss is used in terms of fellowship. See, in the early church, men kissed men and women kissed women on the cheek, okay? As a, as a means of saying, I want you in my life and I want to be in your life. It's a matter of, you can't kiss somebody on the cheek without 
letting them into your space and me being in your space. It still is practiced in the Eastern Church and in some, some denominations in America that focus on real tight fellowship. But the truth of the matter is that most of us in the United States, at least, have shunned the practice of a holy kiss um, because of our culture. See, I'm not trying to say that you need to get up and, and kiss each other. That's not what I'm saying. But most of us, we, we, we don't participate in the holy kiss, and some of us have substituted it for the holy hug, right? That's, that's what I do at Southwestern. I try, I'm the purveyor of holy hugs, and uh, men on men, women on women, and, 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 but it's as close to a holy kiss as we get in our culture where, where we kind of, even though it's kind of weird when we hug sometimes, it's, it's, it's still, we're connected. But most of us in the United States, what we do is we do the holy handshake, right? We do the holy handshake because uh, I can say that I, 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 I'm in contact with you, I'm connected to you, but there's a space between us. Okay, and I'll shake your hand. But some of us have moved to the point of the holy wave. <laughs> right? Because, I, I, because really what we're saying is, I, I like you, but I don't really want you to be a part of my life. I really don't want you connected. I don't want you to really know too much about me. Because if you know a lot about me, you may not like some of the things that you know. And in the New Testament, we find that Christianity demands us to be up close and personal if it ever is really going to work. See, many people will come to church and end up worse off than if they didn't come. What do I mean by that? Well, I know what's going on in my life. I know the dirt that's going on in my life. I know all the stuff that's going on in my life. And, and, but when I come to church, I put on the face. Nobody here would do this. But I put on the face, because I don't want anybody to see what's going on in me or in my home or what's, what's happening. And we sit in a service, we enjoy the worship, we hear the Word of God, we're convicted by the Holy Spirit, we should do something about it, but we don't want to take the risk. So we... We wave and we go home and, and we're just a little bit worse than what we were before because we've put another layer of, of, of distance between one another. You know, uh, I've, I've gone to some churches and I've talked to some people who feel very lonely in church um, because it's, it's, a, it's a waving church. I'm not talking about you guys. You eat cookies and drink coffee and you talk to each other and, and that kind of stuff. But even that can be a false front if we're not careful. See, I want to argue that if we're going to maximize ministry, we have to be real with each other. And can I tell you that when we're real with each other, it's risky and it's terribly messy. You know, I'd rather sometimes have you just come in and fake it, then I don't have to deal with it. 
but nothing changes. And I go home, as I said, a little bit worse. What would happen if we had holy kiss relationships where when I was hurting at the very beginning of the hurt, the stumble or whatever, I knew I could come to you and I could say, man, I've been struggling this week with X, Y, Z. Can you help me? And instead of being cast aside or judged, somebody would actually reach down and, and do the ministry that is necessary. See, if, if that were true, then we wouldn't see people falling deeper and deeper into sin because we could stop it quickly. And, and you know, there's a lot of people in the world today outside of the church that have got real messed up lives. And, and they really do want help. And if we practice that amongst ourselves on an ongoing basis at a very deep level, there would be a great opportunity for them to see what's happening in our relationships and say, I want a bit of that. I'd like to have some of that in my life. So the first directive is that we need to greet one another with a holy kiss, let people come into our space. The second directive I want to look at real quickly is comes from second, I mean first Peter three, eight. It says, Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. That's, that's a pretty powerful passage of Scripture right there. Um, the first thing he says is, let's have unity. The opposite of unity is division, right? And I want to say just quickly three things. First is God is for unity. Satan is for division. Love leads to unity. Selfishness leads to division. God blesses unity. God curses division. Let's, let's look at that for a second real quick. Satan, from the very beginning, tried to cause division between humans and God, husbands and wives, and brothers and sisters. That's his job. His job description is to keep us divided to the best he can. How do I fall into division? James chapter 4 says, why do we fight and quarrel among ourselves? It's because we want something and we don't get it. It's selfishness. And the Bible teaches very clearly that if we are a purveyor of division, if we cause division, that God curses the person that causes divisions. Wait a minute, God cursing? Read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It starts in chapter 1, goes to chapter 3, all this division stuff in Corinth. And Paul says, I will destroy those who causes division. In Genesis chapter 12, God says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. The question is, do I want to be a person who is blessed by God, or do I want to be a person who is cursed by God? Whatever we do as far as a Christian community, 
we've got to have unity. That doesn't mean we all have to think the same thing, wear the same thing, be the same way, but it does mean that we are one together under Christ and we are going to fight one for another for him. We're not going to sow seeds of dissension where maybe we don't like something so we start spreading it around. The Bible says if you do that, there will be some, some punishment on your part. So he says, let's be unified. The church needs to be unified so the world can see us unified so that they can know that what we say really makes a difference. The second thing he says here is sympathy. And I like to contrast sympathy with judgmentalism. What does the word sympathy mean? Sympathy simply sees others how we want to be seen. It's how we want to be seen. So how do we, and I'm talking to me too, how do we view the circumstances of others? When we sit in our comfy chairs, because you all have comfy chairs. I've got a comfy chair. Maybe you don't. But in my comfy chair of life, when I see poor people on the side of the road holding up those signs that says work for food and whatever else they're going to say on those, how do you feel about the poor? Do you immediately go, you know, if they'd gotten their lives together, they wouldn't be poor if they'd just get a job? What's your immediate response to a Christian who stumbles? Somebody who, man, they've been following Jesus and all of a sudden you hear that they've done something really spiritually stupid. How do you feel about non-Christians who are caught in the trap of sin? transvestites, the transsexuals, the transportation people, whatever, whatever. Okay, I mean, all, all, all of the people, the drunks, the, the drug addicts, the, the people who are living in sin sexually, immorally, how do you feel about them? Paul says, let's be sympathetic. Not excuses, but sympathetic. How would I want somebody to treat me if I were the one holding the sign? How would God want me? How would I want to be treated if I was the person who had stumbled? How would I want somebody to treat me if I was caught in sin that I can't get out of, don't know how to get out of? See, God is sympathetic. It breaks His heart. My question is, as a church... Not necessarily you, but is the church universal? Are we sympathetic towards those people? Or are we judgmental? Do we sit and, and realize we don't have those problems and they shouldn't either? He says brotherly love and tender heart. I put those together. And what Paul says in, in I think he, uh, Peter says in that passage, I believe is, that we need to have a generous attitude and generous actions. Do you have a spirit of generosity? Now, part of it we find out when the offering's taken and, and we know the passage that says that God loves a cheerful giver and, and so forth and so on, but it's not the money you put in the plate that God is excited about. It's the heart of generosity that you have 
that you want to take something that you have and give it to others who are in need so that they can be blessed the way that you're blessed. But it's not just money. Sometimes generosity is something as, as easy as giving a word of encouragement, being generous with your words of encouragement, seeing somebody and, and saying something to them. Now, I'm looking for the uh, Brazilian girl. There she is right there. There she is, the Brazilian girl. I loved, I loved your brown sneakers. And, and they're made in America because they're New Balance. You know? They, they were gorgeous. Now, is that a crazy statement to make or is it a word of encouragement? Hey, you know, I noticed you and I noticed your shoes and, and they were cool. They really were. Can you be on the lookout to be generous with each other when it comes to life, about the things you see, keeping your eyes wide open and recognizing people? See, there are a lot of people in this world who feel like they're not seen by anybody. And if we begin to be generous with our words, both in the sanctuary, but also in our workplaces and other places where we go, people are going to start noticing and going, wow. I want to be around that person. I want to be near that person. I want to communicate with that person. And, and the truth of the matter is that comes out of a heart of generosity. That comes out of a spirit that says, it's not all about me, but it's what I can do for others through what God has given to me. When we see fellow Christians in need, we must step up and meet the need to the best of the ability that we have. See, I don't like, and I may make somebody mad here, I don't like prosperity preachers, okay? Because I don't think you can negotiate with God and say, if you give $10, he'll give you $100. I don't, I, 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 if that's the case, I'm going to go sell everything I have, put it in the offering so I can get 10 times the amount, and I'll do that over and over. I'll be a billionaire pretty quick. But there is truth to the fact that if you give out of what you've got out of generosity and not out of negotiation, God gives you more because he knows he can trust you to give it to others some more. So as you get more finances and you give more finances, he gives you more finances so you can give more finances. If you give words of encouragement, he will give you words of encouragement so you can give other people words of encouragement. And it goes on and on and on and on. So we need to be people who are generous, and a humble mind. What does a humble mind mean? There's no place for arrogance in the kingdom of God. None of us, and I'm not talking about arrogance the way you think of it normally. I'm thinking about this. Do we recognize there is only one true authority? God. And humility recognizes that authority and does what that authority asks it to do. So, the problem with Adam and Eve is they didn't recognize God's authority. They decided they were going to do it their own way. They had no humility. The fact is, do you and I, do you and I live with humble minds? Now, if you're going to live with a humble mind, pastor talked about it already, you've got to hear the Spirit of God. And I know that in my classroom, when I 
speak about hearing God the first time, I have students go, what are you talking about? Because they want to hear God like when I was listening to my uh, GPS on the way here this morning, and it would say, go on 280, business 287, take a left. You know, and here I am dutifully listening and obeying, and, and man, but you know what? Even with that, I don't, I'm not a very good obeyer. I missed 377. I missed another one. I ended up getting up to Golden Triangle, which is where I would have come anyway because Larry Thomas, my friend, just lived down here and over, and that's how I always got to his house. But, but the fact of the matter is we want to hear God out loud. That doesn't happen too often. Maybe that gentle whisper. Well, that's happened to me a couple times. And when it did, I knew I'd better obey. And I think if you heard it, you would know maybe you ought to obey too. But most of the time, God speaks to me through impressions. It's as simple as God saying to me, I see that person over there? They look sad today. Maybe you need to go over there and give them some encouragement. See that person over there? Maybe you need to give them $5. See that person over there? And just as you're walking through life, the Holy Spirit just kind of nudges you. And, and you have to make a choice. Are you going to walk in the Spirit and follow those nudges? Now, God talks other ways. He talks through dreams and visions, right? Maybe you think that's freaky, but the Bible says that's the way He'll talk in the end times to many people. When he speaks to you in dreams and visions, if he does, are you, are you acting on those things or do you just uh, file them away? You know, for me, one of the things that I had to learn over life was that the Holy Spirit often talks to me by conviction. When, when I'm about do, to do something that I shouldn't do, and he taps me on the shoulder. He said, no, nah, don't do that. But oftentimes what I did when I was younger is I would ignore it and I'd do it anyway. And, you know, after a while, he, you can't hear him very well because you keep saying no and you kind of block him out and you don't have that kiss relationship with him. You have a wave relationship. And can I tell you never to get to that point? When the Holy Spirit speaks, Respond. And when you do, it's demonstrating that you are living in a humble, humble fashion. And real quickly, uh, the third directive that I want to share with you comes from Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Notice the words there. The word is, it's not if, but when a fellow Christian will stumble. Don't be surprised if somebody in this congregation does something spiritually inappropriately or behavioral inappropriate. Don't be <gasps> shocked. The Apostle Paul wasn't. He knew that we would stumble from time to time. As a matter of fact, if you've ever had a little kid you'll know that stumbling is part of the walking process. And for young Christians especially, I'm going, they're going to stumble along the way. And 
Paul says your responsibility when they stumble is to pick them up and help them to walk. And they may fall again and you pick them up. How many times did your kid fall before you just said, wrote them off and said, ah, I don't care about that one anymore? You didn't because out of love, you're going to do it over and over until they get on their feet and they get some confidence. And even after they get some confidence, they're going to fall from time to time. And the Bible says that it's our responsibility as a Christian body to always be in the place when we see somebody in the congregation stumble, to not sit back and point your finger, but to quickly run to their side and see what you can do to help them, to pick them up and to help them move forward in their lives. And just in case, okay, and this is later in chapter 6, just in case you don't think that you're susceptible of stumbling, Paul says every one of us in this room are. He tells us very clearly, if you think that you're too mature to fall, you're kidding yourself. Now my hope is that older you become in Christ and the better you learn how to walk and listen to the Spirit, that you won't fall because you'll be listening to Him and you'll be doing what He tells you to do and you'll be on a strong path. But if you ever get to the point where you stop listening to the Holy Spirit in your life, you put yourself in a very dangerous spot. But then He finishes in verse 5 in chapter 6. And he says, when I stumble, I can't blame other people. Ultimately, my responsibility to God is my responsibility. Okay? I need you. Okay? I'm saying that to you in this, in this sermon today. I need you. And you need me. But the only way, the only way that that is going to ever happen if we is if we learn to greet one another with a holy kiss, we let people into our lives. So today, in a very brief fashion, we've looked at three directives that I think that if we follow, we'll maximize ministry, not only in a congregation, but also um, make an impact in our communities. So I just want to close by four things. One is praying that the rain will stop. <laughs> and maybe I could just keep going and going because nobody's going to want to go out in the rain. So, But the first thing that I want to say is if you examined your life today while I was talking, if you um, were listening today and you discovered that you're keeping a distance from people and, and you've been right, really hiding the real self, self, most people in this body really don't know who you are and, and what you're struggling with, I encourage you to ask God today to give you courage to let people to get to know the real you. Find people you can trust and begin to share your life so that they can help restore you in the areas where you need to be restored. Second, if you find yourself being a bit arrogant, self-serving, and walking according to your will, doing things the way you want to do them. You're not listening to the Holy Spirit. You're not responding to Him. I challenge you to learn to hear His voice and yield to His direction in your life.
Thirdly, if you find yourself being judgmental towards those who stumble uh, spiritually, I just encourage you to consider reaching out to those who are weaker than you at this point. And finally, if there happens to be a person in here who has never accepted Christ, I invite you to accept him, accept his love, accept his salvation, and allow him to shape your life into a life that is wonderful, challenging, and your sins can be forgiven. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this congregation and Father for their attention and their attention to your word. And Father, I know that uh, I threw a lot of stuff out in a very short period of time, but I'm trusting your Holy Spirit to take something, something that can be put in their hearts, Father, that can be fertilized and grown and and something that will one day be walked out. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we ask these things. Plus the rain, plus the rain. Father, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.